Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Rose Podcast. This week we are exploring the taboo subject of sex and sexuality. I had the pleasure of being on a podcast called Guys We Fucked, which is hosted by a couple of stand-up comedians named Corinne Fisher and Christina Hutchinson. I loved this podcast when they first asked if I wanted to be on it. I looked it up because I was intrigued, obviously, by the name, like who wouldn't be? And when I saw the purpose of the podcast, I was like, hell yeah, I have to do this. Um, you know, it's hailed as a podcast that's about changing the way society thinks about female sexuality and really hoping the intention to pave the way towards a healthier outlook on sex. What an incredible thing that is needed, right? We are so afraid of the subject of sex and our cultures and our religions and our societies are all equally as terrified of the very fucking thing that makes us. That is mind-boggling to me. And because we teach so much shame around sexuality, like saying uh, desire is bad, sex is bad, uh, especially when you're an adolescent, which you have hormones and you're naturally gonna desire because you're human being, biological. If you're taught that that's bad, then you have to believe unconsciously for sure, but often consciously that a part of you is bad. And then, you know, we shame exploration of self, we shame masturbation, we shame all of these things that causes people to turn against their sexuality and often need to be inebriated for their first time. We even talk about losing your virginity as if you lose something instead of gain something which is a deeper exploration of self, a maturation process. We often don't do it from an embodied space. We don't engage in sexuality from an educated space. We don't engage in it from a space of empowerment because so many people have been taught that sex is bad or that it's scary or that it's all these things that they teach their kids the same thing through never even teaching about it. And don't even get me started on the Catholic schools. Oh, geez worst sex education ever because they teach it from, they don't even teach it from a biological perspective and they don't teach to use protection generally. If you're from one that did well done, must have been a rebel teacher. But so much about that makes me angry because it's so irresponsible because we're afraid of people's sexuality. We're human when we're afraid of sexuality, then it can express in shadow forms. So I wrote this article years ago that was called Maybe we're all meant to be sluts. And the whole purpose of the using that title, which you might be like, wow, that's an aggressive title, Mark. Yeah, the whole point was about reclaiming that word, that it's a four-letter word that has managed to encapsulate all of the shaming we as humans connect with female sexuality. But sexuality in, you know, in, in, in total, for the human experience. We've tried to control and dictate how people should love and our ability as people to choose the type of sex we want to have. You know, I really thought, you know, in this article, I want to read you a section of it. And I go through like some of the beliefs that are just preposterous that we have that, you know, monogamy is the only way you need to be married by 30. You have to have kids by 35. Female sexual freedom is a huge no-no. Gay marriage is bad. Polyamory is shameful. Every relationship needs to last forever. If they don't, you're a failure. 
Divorce is bad. Being in a relationship is more important than being happy and single. Sexuality is bad. Discovering your sexuality is worse. And sharing your body with more than one person is immoral, especially if you're a woman. You know, and, and really, this teaches so many untruths. This teaches fear of anything that is unfamiliar, and then it transcends everything, not just relationships. So in the quest, I asked the question in the article, what is the fear of embracing sex? What is the fear of gay people falling in love and entering the union of marriage? Is marriage really that sacred? The divine heterosexuals who rule the institution of marriage are divorcing at a rate of 50%, and even those who remain married are often addicted to pornography and are busy perusing the profiles of other married people on Ashley Madison. Don't get me wrong, marriage is a beautiful thing. There are plenty of people who are happily married, build amazing families, and have wonderful lives. Their lives and way of living are not the issue. I think a conscious partnership is amazing, and I really look forward to creating a family one day in that construct. The real problem stems from the ivory tower of the heterosexual marriage union that seems to be threatened by sexual freedom. There's a fear that families, religion, and society will all come crumbling down around us should we embrace the sexuality born into us as an innate human right. It's inevitable that systems will come crashing down, which are built on the foundation of false truths, though. The craziest part of the obsession to preserve this pretend world is that we have all been cheating the system and going behind its back anyways. But it's okay to cheat the system, isn't it? As long as no one is found out, right? We're told to hide our unmarried pregnant daughters from our so-called quote-unquote friends and co-religionists because it will bring shame to the family. We can't tell our parents or family about the woman, man, or person we've fallen in love with because they're from a different culture or religion. We reject our children because of their sexual orientation and we scoff at interracial marriage. We would rather see two people who do not love each other get married to satisfy a system that does not allow them to love on their own terms. We mutilate human genitalia and shame humans for the desire to explore their bodies. How ridiculous is that? All because of what? to preserve a way of living that does not even embrace the very innate desire for sexual freedom and exploration, one that is not even built on love, kindness, and acceptance. This system seems doomed to fail, does it not? Our innate sexual desire is evident in our engagement of movies and media. The fanfare of Fifty Shades of Grey is not because we like horrible writing and bad acting, it's because it represents our very deepest truth. Each and every one of us has a freak flag and almost none of us let it fly. So we become addicted to the porn movies where the bad actors are doing everything we wish we were doing. Is there not a potential danger to ignoring our needs and hiding from our desires? Absolutely. The proof is all around us. And then I get into what that can manifest as, you know, and I recognize I wrote this, I think five, six years ago. So some of the language, you know, you wouldn't say freak flag now because it, you know, it's not mindful of how that word might be received, you know, it, it, I really recognize how much, and I love being able to observe through reading my old writing, how much I've changed and grown and how much more mindful I am of different people's experiences. But at the end of the day, I have to tell you, I am all about people being kind and generous and mindful. And if you want to explore something or go against a rule that you were taught in your life, it doesn't have to be sexual. It's anything. Just like pursuing a dream, getting a job that you always desired, any of those things, if it goes against a belief you were taught that is not true, do it. You know, to me, 
it is the guidelines of how to live. And I'm talking separate. Live your life kindly, generously, with truth and boundaries and honorably. But don't live it in a safe container to keep the people around you safe. Live it in a way that is expressive of you. And look, I we can get into an existential conversation another time, but you have one life, at least as far as we know currently. Live it. Live it for you. And this doesn't mean to live in a way, because of course the reaction to that is, well, that's selfish. You're going to hurt everyone around you and blah, blah, blah. What about compromise? And yes, there's a difference between compromise and self-abandonment. Self-abandonment, compromise is where you actually feel like both of you may have lost something in what you wanted, but you gain deeper connection and a path that feels aligned. That's different than self-abandonment. Self-abandonment is that you feel like you've left yourself behind to stay in or choose a life that is to get the applause of other people. And as I say constantly, if you live your life for the applause of other people, they will be the only one clapping, not you. And you'll wake up one day and realize that you've been dancing for other people and forgot about you. And these are the moments to recognize you got to make it about you too, you know? And, you know, you got to stop doing shit you don't want to do. You got to stop living a life you don't want. And that's why we chase alcohol and material wealth and all the things to avoid the truth that we've been abandoning ourselves. You know, whenever you say like, you don't, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do, then people go, well, you still got to change diapers. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. No shit, Sherlock. Or as what people say, uh, thanks tips. <laughs> yeah. We know that. Again, this is about the difference between compromise and self abandonment. So that's a long lesson to get into a podcast with two of my favorite humans that I had such an honor to be on their podcast. And I'm really excited to share their experience with their podcast and talking about these subjects. I love that they're not afraid of the truth. They're not afraid to express. They're not afraid of anything. And it's so beautiful to see such powerful people really stand up and do what's passionate and right for them and really challenge these stigmas. As I'm sure you're aware of, I do not work with a ton of brands. And the reason I don't is because if I'm going to bring it into your life, into your ear, into all the things, I have to be willing to bring it into mine. And I only want to partner with brands that have high levels of integrity, high levels of quality. And that's why I'm so pumped up to have found Organifi. You know, I had Drew Cannoli founder on the podcast. You should check out that episode. It's so great. You can learn a little bit more about him and his story and why he founded it. And if you don't know what Organifi is, it's a line of organic superfood blends that they they offer plant-based nutrition. And it's made with high quality ingredients. Each blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. So the green juice, which let's be honest, I don't know if you've ever had a green juice, but it usually tastes like lawnmower cuttings mixed with water. It's gross. It's actually super delicious. I have it every morning. It's just such a great way to start the day. They also have Organifi Gold, which is a superfood tea that supports rest and relaxation so you can wake up feeling refreshed. Each is easy to use. You just mix it with water or your favorite beverage while you're going, while you're out and about, and they do not compromise quality for taste. It's delicious. So they take pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out 
to less than $3 a day. So all you got to do is go to Organifi.com slash create the love and use the code create the love and you get 20% off your order. And right now you get free shipping. And that's just specific to create the lovers. So once again, you go to organifi.com slash create the love and the code create the love gets you 20% off any item and free shipping. I can't wait for you to try it out. Go wherever you listen to this, subscribe to it, give it a five-star review, a written review and share the episode if it resonates with you so we can bring more relational healing, sexual healing, which is a great song, sexual healing. We, I'm not a singer. Um, so we can do all of that. And thank you for being on this journey with me. So grateful. So without further ado, here's Corinne Fisher and Christina Hutchinson. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves podcast. We are blessed today to be having some, this will be my first ever threesome, ladies. <laughs> Mine too. Not me. Woohoo! Not, okay. Well, I'm, we are honored to have uh, Corinne Fisher and Christina Hutchinson, and we are going to be jam- They are the hosts of the Guys We Fucked podcast and authors and comedians. I like this triple threat. That's, you know, yeah. Those are three things that are exceptional to put together. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Happy to be here. I was excited to be on your show because as soon as I learned the title of your podcast, I was like, this has got to be a great podcast. And then I learned looked up what it was all about. So do you want to share? Because I'm sure that, you know, the people hear the title of that podcast and they're like, ugh. You know, or there's judgment that occurs. So they'll be pleasantly surprised when they hear. So please share. Uh, I mean, sometimes they sometimes they say, ah, uh, but a lot of times they're intrigued and they listen and then they're like, fuck, it's also informational. Um, and I think maybe they're disappointed that it's not as salacious as they thought it would be. <laughs> and But then they're like, oh, no, it's actually good. So, I mean, it's just a comedic podcast where we explore sex dating relationships you know, from a feminist perspective, but like what Christine and I always thought was missing from feminism was a sense of humor. So mm. being comedians were able to tackle that like in more than a cutesy way. Cause so often female heterosexual female sexuality, especially is kind of handled in like a very juvenile, silly way. And we hate that. So we wanted to be like, you know, it's like Howard Stern for girls, honestly, was our initial pitch. Yeah. years ago when we started yeah so we just wanted to talk about it the way like we actually talk about sex yeah we we started out interviewing a guy one of us is fucked um and then we branched out and we started <laughs> to explore <laughs> we started to ex- we started getting questions sent to us which we didn't really ask for um and i i'm a huge dan savage fan and he always said the only thing that uh, qualifies yeah. you to give advice is if somebody asks you for advice so we're like, okay, that we can do. So yeah, we we kind of started branching out to interview mostly comedians about darker subjects uh, around sexuality, pedophilia, rape, uh, and then all the way, you know, we covered the whole gamut, cheating, all everything that's involved in a relationship. And we've been doing it for almost seven years. And you really think that you're going to run out of stuff to talk about, but you don't. Our inbox is this wild window into the world of people's sexuality and their secrets. And it's, totally changed how I think about pretty much everything. 
Well, what a beautiful space for people to be able to feel safe to talk about all these things that go on in our head, really. Like these are all conversations that we're having in our head or thoughts we're having. And then we think we're like deviant and abnormal and it creates shame. And of course, sometimes they can be deviant and abnormal. But a lot of the time, you know, it's like how uh, I remember there being a question on a job thing. I was filling out a psychological test that was like, have you ever thought of robbing a bank? And most people have thought of robbing yeah, a bank. Yeah, of course. Unless you're born, right. you've thought of I would wear a, a hot bank. outfit and a pink ski cap. Yeah. Like after I saw, what was that movie with um, Harmony Spring Breakers? Spring Breakers. I was like, that's the outfit I would rob a bank in a bikini and a pink uh, ski hat. Literally the worst outfit to get away with the crime, For but sure. best one to and make the cover of the newspaper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and I think it's cool that it's like, you know, there there is this platform that allows people to explore and learn about these subjects. And it also removes the stigma um, yeah. that is created about these. Yeah, shame is a really weighty emotion for people and it only fucks them up more heavily. And so it's it was very surprising to me uh, and, and more surprising to Corinne because she is, has a very he- healthy sense of self-esteem um, to learn how low people's bars are and then why are the bars so low that's the part that i'm really curious about well then and then you also realize like how other like you know i'm taking things at face value for most of my life and then i'm realizing it's like oh no people are speaking in code and like i guess the code is kind of shame in a way because like when i say something like i just am saying what i mean i'm not saying some hidden thing. <laughs> I mean, part of that is confidence. I think part of it is also just being from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's, it's taken me so many years to like untangle and like figure out the codes that other people are speaking in. And then on, honestly, I just get tired and, and then sit alone in my apartment with my dog because I don't, I can't, <laughs> I can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's almost like people need permission to just be their authentic selves sometimes. You know, we grow up in families where that's not, it's like everyone's pretending to really love this God and really be good and really never think about sex or porn or anything. Oh, I never did that. I can't believe you're doing that. Meanwhile, you know, they're making decisions that that are totally against what they're preaching to everybody. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's so much hypocrisy when it comes to sex and dating that it's like, oh, Oh. come on, on, guys, just fucking be honest. Can we just be honest? It's not going to hurt my feelings. Just honesty is so undervalued in today's world that uh, that's one of the that's one of the things we wanted to set out to do with Guys We Fuck, because a lot of times people ask us for advice and it'll be a lot of young women in their early 20s. And it's it's they know our style of advice giving is is tough love um, because I wish somebody would have done that to me when I was 21, 22. So it's mm-hmm. been enjoyable to help people help shape the youth a little bit for the better. We roast them to make them better. But I mean, also, you know, that's not j- just based on like being mean or being funny. Uh, you know, when I was going through my very traumatic breakup, that was the impetus for the show. Uh, the thing that helped me most was I was at a comedy show feeling really down in the dumps, like feeling bad for myself. <laughs> and the host of the show was, was like, no one cares. He said, no one cares to me. And out of all the things and all the books I've read and all the stuff that I've watched, it was no one cares that helped me the most because it kind of gets you out of your own pity party uh, and outside yourself. And you're like, yeah, there's a whole, there's a whole world out here. And it's, and I think it's especially good for me because I do care about myself on a day to day and have self love. So like saying no one, no one cares is like, 
that was what I needed. Yeah. In the experience of you guys doing this podcast throughout this time, what have been some of the sort of wildest or most interesting or most uh, transformative experiences that your listeners have shared? Oh boy, there's so many. I mean, there's there's emails that I've that I when we first started to get emails because we guys we fucked as experiences. Really, it's been interesting. These waves of new listeners, and it's like this crazy domino effect that's been like swelling for a while. And so, with each wave, I feel like we get more emails that are just more intense, and nothing truly, nothing shocks me. But the um. A lot of ugh, all the 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 darkest email that I had ever read was about a, a woman who was sexually abused by her father um, at, at at the age of ten, and her father had already administered a um, uh, tried to give her an abortion via a coat hanger, and this email was like I remember reading it at the grocery store, and I was like. Jesus Christ, like that's crazy. And we kind of summarized it on an episode of the podcast because I didn't want to read the whole thing. It's the only only email like his, in the show's history that we we could we didn't feel was responsible yeah. to actually read word for word on air. Yeah. yeah. And then when she heard she heard us summarize it because she listens to the podcast. And then she she wrote back and she's like, Hey, I heard you guys, you know, summarize my email. I just want to let you know, like, I'm okay. I'm I'm okay. I'm really at a healthy place. I've been to a lot of therapy. And I'm, and so one of the things that these types of emails have taught me is human beings are so much more resilient than they realize. Really, mm. really, really resilient. And then that got me on this whole rabbit hole of childhood trauma. I feel like I've gotten an honorary doctorate in it because it really <laughs> shows its ugly little head in romantic relationships. And for me, it did. So I, I'm, a, I'm very into figuring myself out uh, in public. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that's been very helpful. Well, that's such a, it takes such all the things that you ladies are doing are taking such a high level of humility, like for an episode to be interviewing someone that you slept with. I mean, and then I, I mean, I would, I started doing a ex-girlfriend series because I felt bad that I'm the one who has the microphone. So I get to share mm -hmm. my experience, not, yeah. not specifically about relationships, um, like down to the person or something like that, but that I'm like, how was I experienced by other people? Like, you know, I wasn't always good at communicating and I'm still not always good at communicating, but I certainly was much worse in the past. And so I, I've just loved to see also the, by talking about things in the way that you're talking about them, you are removing this stigma associated, like women shouldn't be talking about these things that, oh, that's dirty. Oh, be a proper lady, you know, and we yeah. have all these constructs. Yeah, I mean, it, people are like, oh, that's so crazy that you have exes on. But to me, as long as you were living in a reality at the time, which I know can go either way, because sometimes we remember relationships much different than they actually occurred. It's mm -hmm. pretty common, I think. It, it was actually easier for me personally to have the conversations because it's like, you know, having your comedy partner there is like, kind of having a therapist and always having a mediator there. Mm -hmm. So people aren't going to just like lash out and say unnecessarily hurtful things, although mm -hmm. that has happened a couple of times, but that's like people are in a, like a weird ego contest with me, one-sided. And so like the only thing that there was to fear was hearing a, a true reflection of, of yourself. And if anything, like I thought that would be super helpful because sometimes, especially I come off, I think in a, in like a colder way because I don't have a good bedside manner. So it's like, well, yeah, it didn't, it, it came off harsh, but that's not how I intended it. I just didn't put any extra bells and whistles to make you feel more comfortable. So like, it's good to adjust and it has made me a much better communicator because Christina is, uh, I think, a, a lot better communicator verbally than me. And uh, 
it's been hard to work on that, but I've done it. Yeah, I really enjoy these conversations because there, there, there would never be a world that I would even talk to half of the guys that I've I've had that on that I've slept with on the podcast, and and that makes me so sad because you know when you have sex with somebody, whether it's dating or a hookup or whatever the the relationship is, that's the most intimate, that's the closest physically you'll ever get to another person, and so the idea that they just kind of disappear forever. A lot of times, you know, with certain people, that's a very good idea and the healthiest option. <laughs> You're like, but, bye. No, yeah. Don't come back. <laughs> but it's so, I, w- these conversations, I really enjoy them because, like Corinne said, I've been surprised with some of the questions I got, the answers I received from the questions I've gotten of what they thought was going on in the relationship was totally different than what I thought was going on. And that made me realize my head's up my ass a bunch. That's why I dug into this childhood trauma stuff and I'm, yeah, d- honing my communication skills. Well, if anything, all of these things inspire someone to think about the other side of the story and then also even maybe revisit older relationships that Mm -hmm. haven't had closure, that we're waiting for them to create closure or we owe someone an apology. I find it so fascinating in the human Mm -hmm. experience that we ruminate and talk to our friends about the people who fuck us over but we don't think about the people we do. Like we're not, you know, uh, there's someone out there talking to their friends about us sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be really a different perspective of, of like, wait, I actually owe someone an apology for ghosting them or I owe someone an apology for not showing up. You know, it's a, it's a different way to live. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was the, mo- the most difficult episode for me personally, as far as like the, the, you know, quote, guys, we fucked episodes was absolutely the one where I felt I owed the person an apology. Because like, you know, people who had done me wrong, I really didn't have any problem seeing because I had figured out and like moved on. But to have someone come in who you feel like you owe an apology to and you were shitty to them, like that's much worse, especially when you're doing it as a, I don't want to say performance piece, but like as a art form, because it's not going to, it's going to make you look terrible. Like being the victim is, that's not terrible. That's in vogue right now. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's, in vogue. <laughs> that's why our, our definition of feminism is women can be pieces of shit too. And I think it's, it's, it's so, I really want to mm. ha- have it catch on that people should be leaning into their bad side as well and be curious about their bad side and not, don't go the shame route because that's going to fuck you over way harder. But, but having curiosity about themselves and, and, um and not, I'm somebody who, if I, I don't know that I've had anybody on that I felt I owed an apology to, because but I, let people walk all over me or used to let people walk all over me. So I felt owed an apology many times, even though I was like a doormat, but, but it is, I wish people were just, it's just not, it's not as scary as people think um, being open mm. about your shitty qualities. It actually feels really good because, because then, especially if you do stand up comedy, stand up comedians get called out for a lot of things that they say, but I've always been of the mindset of, I am not a perfect person and I'm learning and I'm very curious. And I'm curious if I say something that, upset somebody i i would like to know it i don't know what i'm going to do with it because it depends i have to take take it into context but um yeah i just wish people were more comfortable with that part of themselves those the shittier parts how do you find with mixing stand-up comedy with it like having that level of compassion and empathy for how your words are met i mean really would tricky influence style you know because it's like i think you know jerry seinfeld seems to be someone who's like done comedy in a way that isn't really offensive at all But I really like comedy that really takes to the edge of, because what I find, I think why everyone loves comedy so much, although I'm not sure, is that 
there's a, a communication that's happening about reality and the calling out of truth. And we get to laugh about the absurd nature of life and the absurdity of what we observe in everyday life and often don't do anything about or still participate in. And we laugh at it and then we go back to doing regular stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is. I would exactly. say that's accurate. Very, but, uh, very accurate. It's been more difficult recently. You know, for me as a comedian, I'm thinking, how can I do my job when I consistently feel like I'm walking on eggshells? And so I guess the the no, initial like notion with guys we fucked was like, okay, we spend the, you know the first 20, 30, 40 minutes of the show talking about our own personal lives, letting you into our lives so you get to know who we are. And I would hope that after you know hearing us for weeks, years, months, um, you realize our intentions are good. We're not bad people, although you know very few people I think think they are bad people. Uh, so maybe we are. Uh, and then from that, uh, from knowing us and from that level of intimacy, that gives us the space like to kind of play in um, and to make jokes that you know, are just jokes, not actual like political commentaries. Although, you know, they might be in a way absurdly, uh, but it's it's getting, it's pretty jumbled. And I mean, honestly, I would recommend not trying to uh, conflate uh, any type of philanthropy or wellness with comedy <sighs> in, in this, in this uh, climate, for sure. Because it's, I think it's like, it, it's so sad to think that if we just had not, you know, ever tried to, you know, raise money or awareness for anything and just straight tried to be funny, we would be under less of a, a, a microscope. Like that's something that I find deeply upsetting. You mean the correlation of those? We basically tried to like mash philanthropy and, uh, comedy. and comedy into one, you know, uh, to kind of like, I don't, to, Putting to, the, to kind of make, the make a difference. Yeah. yeah. The the, the the analogy of putting like when you give a dog medicine, you put it in ice cream. So right. we we mask. Or you put it in cheese, not ice cream. You'll tell the dog. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever dairy product you want to give your dog, but uh, but you you mask it. So so we have yeah. so the our mask is comedy, but underneath that the medicine is is honesty, is being a good person, is give a shit about other people, have empathy, like be curious about yourself, look inside yourself, you know? So if you deliver that comedically, it's it tends to stick with people, you know, longer. And that's something we started before the culture that we're in now where everyone's kind of getting canceled for everything. And, you know, everyone is in a contest to, you know, be the most woke person in the room, to be the mm-hmm. most virtuous person in the room. Um, because I guess talking about it now, it seems it's like, oh, isn't that what is popular right now? And it, that's absolutely not the way Christina and I in- intended it to be. We're always open to conversations. That's what guys we fucked is all about. There's so many episodes um, where we're talking to someone from a, a very different walk of life from us, where we're like, hey, we're going to ask some ignorant questions most likely during this interview. So we apologize in advance, but we're just doing it so that we can learn and please like correct us along the way. Yeah, we're not afraid to say stuff because uh, because we're open to what people have to say about it, or what they feel about it. Well, how do you feel about then the, because you've watched over seven years and and you guys have both been doing comedy for how long? A decade. Yeah, so in that, I mean, I've watched the comedy that's being produced change over time and mm-hmm. also watched 
comedians as of late and and sort of interestingly seems to be becoming more of a popular culture conversation about canceling cancel culture, like how easy it is to offend everybody. And I think this speaks to what you were saying earlier, Christina, which is that like one thing that you both do so well is that you are willing to make people uncomfortable at the cost of the truth. Like you'd rather deliver truth and then be uncomfortable instead of, I mean, I'm 41, so I didn't grow up where uh, there were, everything was, you, nothing could be offensive. You know, actually a lot of things were overtly offensive and maybe too offensive for sure. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely so different in the other end now that no one wants to be offended in any way by anything they see on Instagram or anything they read or anything they hear. And if you do that, then you're at fault because you're not woke to their perspective or their thought. Yeah. It's like they have these feelings that you triggered or conjured up and they throw them at you like a ball of poop and they mm-hmm. go you deal with my pain i'm not dealing with it because every t- any time that people have gotten upset with me or with, with i don't i don't know what the Corinne's experience is like but if i i don't i care so much i mean not as much anymore but i used to give so much of a shit about what other people thought and i really don't ever i still i don't ever want to say anything that I'll never say anything that intentionally hurts people. And so being called out for something really forces you to reckon with yourself and ask yourself really important questions that everybody should ask themselves so that when people throw their feelings at me, I can understand that your pain's coming from a real place, but I don't have to cower in the corner and go, wait, what did I do wrong? That's what I find. Yeah, that's what I find so interesting about uh, cancel culture in general in the age uh, of self-help, you know, we're kind of the, the first generation of people like our parents weren't like going to therapy and talking about their therapist and referring to like my therapist as if it was, you know, one of the gals on sex in the city. And we do that now. So it's just very interesting that with all the work we've done on ourselves, we're so easily offended because to me, like, I, I don't get offended by almost anything. And it's not because like I'm a, a better person. It's just because I don't care what these people are saying and your opinions or views do not affect me. I am whole within. Like it, it, it just seems so weird that with all the work we've done, we can get into people's hearts and minds so easily. Mm-hmm. I wonder if because of the level of awareness that people have maybe about their emotional experience and, and their childhood and all those types of things that in that, because there's more observ- observation or awareness of their trauma that then they call out when it gets hit, you know, like there's mm-hmm. using that. Because I find cancel culture is fascinating to me in the sense that it really indicates, of course, there are people who should be canceled for things that they've never taken responsibility for and have never been public. And then those things come out and they're held re- responsible. That makes sense. But when it's like something someone did in 1991 when they were seven or like 15 or whatever, mm. and they did pay the price and they grew. I mean, these are the right. people to learn from the people who take responsibility for the thing they did. And then, you know, it's that to me is, is really the people we should be celebrating that receive the feedback, face their shame and grew. And, It really just points to me that when we want to cancel people very quickly without being curious, it's because we haven't accepted parts of ourselves that we're afraid people will cancel us for. Our critiques of others are such a direct reflection of how we feel about ourselves. I I know that once I I had that quote in my mind, I was like, I will never forget that because it makes me ask myself every time I critique somebody publicly or privately. Why, why, why do I think this is it? Am I afraid that I'm like this or am I like this? And I don't want to look at it, which is certainly worth it. Yeah, it's constant, it's constant deflection. It's just like everyone puts a shield up. It's like you can't get within me. I'm just to keep bouncing this back. No. 
And also people saying, I read a, t- a tweet, for example, that happened. Twitter is a cesspool and it's where good things and bad things happen on Twitter. But a lot of what happens uh, can happen on Twitter or what I've seen happen is that somebody says a thing, whatever the fuck it is, about gender, sex, race, whatever. And some, and then people go, because sometimes the people are right and sometimes they're wrong, but they go, that your intention was this and that hurt me. And then the person who wrote it's like, well, that do you want to actually know what my intention was? Or you just want to tell me what my intention was because what you're telling me and what it actually was are two different things. So it's like, it, it's interesting that intention got lost along the way in some of these, in some respects. I mean, some people are just outright pieces of shit, which honestly, thank you for letting me know. Like, I almost appreciate that more. <laughs> it's, it's so it's so frustrating when somebody is passively, aggressively a piece of shit. And then when you call them out, they're like, you're crazy. That's gaslighting. I mean, we have, a unfortunately, uh, Kurt and I live in a country where our president is like the biggest gaslighting piece of, cr- like insecure. And then when that Mary Trump, his niece uh, released excerpts of her book, we go, yeah, childhood trauma. That's what it does. It creates a monster. Yeah. It, can, it can, it doesn't do this to everybody, but it can create that level of a monster because he was tortured by his father. And I don't feel bad for him, but, um, but, but that's what something like that can do. So unchecked power and unchecked um, self, I don't even know, obsession. That's honestly a very interesting point. I feel like you could make that into like a, a you could almost use Donald Trump as uh, an Poster example child. to to like hetero, young heterosexual and homosexual like men. I was like, this is the type of guy you don't want to date. Like, this is what gaslighting is. This is how someone can make you feel like uh, intense feelings that you think are love, but they are not love. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> you that, know, we, yeah. we all know someone like that. We're like, 100%. Like our president's a fuck. Our president's a fuck boy. <laughs> yeah, and and I wonder, you know, fifty three percent of white women in the United States voted for Donald Trump, so they were a huge portion of. Even though he he lost the popular vote, the electoral college for some fucking dumb reason is still a thing in the United States, which is not democracy <laughs> to me. Yeah, uh, especially uh-uh. if the electorates electorates don't have to vote for what their uh, uh, constituents actually. But it just makes zero sense. Um, but yeah, what's the point? I, I wonder because of everything I understand now about childhood trauma and then how it surfaces in relationships. If those women specifically were used to that type of romantic example in their life, somebody who talks down to them, who treats them like shit and then says, I treat you like gold and, and just that, that confusion, that gaslighting, it's like something they're comfortable with because I think with romance, you attract what you're comfortable with. And one of the things I realized is in a lighter way, I was attracting people that helped me recreate pain that I had when I was a kid. Yeah, right. Inevitably, did. inevitably. So you can heal it. You know, so you think like, did we vote in Donald Trump so we can, well, we, I'm Canadian, so I'm not part of this, <laughs> but yeah, but bye. But I, <laughs> in that it's, is that because he really made what was living implicitly in American culture, but I'd say globally, we're seeing this so much. He made what was already implicit explicit. Like it's just obvious Mm -hmm. now that racism is rampant. And but you know, you ask any woman of color, a person of color, and they're like, "Yeah, I know race. Yeah, thanks. Welcome to the party, white guy." And I'm like, "Oh yeah," because you know, I you don't think about it because privilege. That's what privilege does. And I I remember listening to Glennon Doyle speak, and she was talking about privilege and racism and and all the things. And she was saying that um, she was talking about the election, and she was saying that the highest voter for Trump after a white guy was a white woman. 
And she said that's because of proximity to power, that the white woman still benefits from the proximity to power to the white man. And he sort of really, uh, I mean, in a lot of ways, and if you're listening and you voted for him, hey, you were doing the best you could at the time. And I think, you know, it's like anything. It's like someone has policies that you like, but I remember talking to people who were voting for him and I was like, yeah, but you don't get just his fiscal policies that you want. You get his his misogyny, you get his patriarchal sort of behavior. And he's really this archetype of traumatized, toxic masculine. I mean, he has outward, I mean, it's been evident that he clearly does, doesn't have any respect for women, at least historically, I can't speak for him now, but and, and yet we're not holding the fact that we don't hold people like that accountable in office is like just evident. It's like, and that's why we're doing it, that with government. Yeah. And that's why it, it it's I, I, I'm always interested when people hold comedians more accountable than they yeah. hold their own president of their own country, because because that's actually somebody who is a policymaker. Mm. Twitter censored one of his tweets and he had a bill on his desk the next day to prevent them from doing that. And it's like, this is <laughs> no call this stupid shit out. Call it out. Yeah. How he could still go get through a press conference without any report. I would risk my job for this without going, you're fucking nuts. Can we address that? How can we not address that? It's this big elephant in the room. And that's why, like, with with when men get called out, a lot of male comedians get called out for 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 sexual assault, for for sexual intimidation, which is could be under assault and, and all that stuff. And uh, and it, and it just when they're not honest about it, I, that's the most disappointing part. It's like you're looking me in the eye or the camera in the eye and you're telling me that you didn't do X, Y, Z when we all know you did. Mm. Like, stop. That's a form of gaslighting. It's like, oh, you have no respect for for me or humanity the way I I do. People continue to lie, though, because it works. Like, think of how many times we've been lied to, not only by like politicians, but partners and like, even though we kind of know in our hearts, it's not true. We believe it. We move on with them. Yeah. You know, we keep the relationship going because that's you. A lot of times, you know, you to to protect yourself, you believe the truth that you want to be truthful, <laughs> you know? And I, and I think like comedians, uh, the reason like we're attacked more than politicians is because we're more accessible. Politicians yeah. are very untouchable. You're also more, like generally more explicit with your beliefs and your thoughts and yeah. you don't censor yourself, mm-hmm. you know, which sets you up, can set you up. And as you guys were saying before, I keep saying you guys, you ladies, I'm practicing fixing that. So my apologies. I'll get it. I Um, I don't care either way. We don't care. (laughs) If I did, I'd tell you, but I really don't. Well, as you ladies were saying before, that in that, that ability to be able to communicate authentically, there's like a, I mean, I I just never want to live in a place where we have to censor everything we're going to say because we're afraid of offending people. And yet, you know, I look at someone, uh, something like uh, the way that we hold, like the Epstein case, for example. I watched that Netflix documentary. Have you? Have you? Oh yeah. Have you? I've, watched I've watched. I've watched two docu series about. I don't think I didn't watch it, but I'm very familiar with the with the case and what's happening. Yeah. And I'm like, this this is how power perpetuates uh, a lack of accountability, and it keeps sending messages that are implicit. It's it's both em- explicit and implicit in that it's like. If you do wrong things and you have money, you can get away with it. Yeah. And if you're white and if you're white. Oh, yeah. I wish I wish there would be a more honest conversation about power, about uh, about the danger 
of power once a human being of any whatever background uh, gets a hold of it. Because the Stanford prison experiment is such a relevant thing to think about, especially now where they divided a classroom up. They made half of the classroom prison guards, uh, gave them a little, you know, shirt to wear. And then half the classroom was uh, designated as prisoners in quote, you know, they were in a prison system that was all make believe. And within hours, the people that were cast as the prison guards got so power hungry and then became so malicious and evil. And then you cut to an interview with them and they're like, who am I? So I, I just wish we could be more honest too about like humanity can, everybody has potential to be that evilness can be inside you if you're given uh, the passes by everybody and the, and the power. Well, it's also like you've never felt powerful before. I think that's the real issue. It's like it's going to work mm -hmm. on someone. Like, I mean, to be honest, I don't think it would work on me because I don't feel not powerful, right. you know? And I think there are enough people like that. Mm. You know, we, we, I mean, we did that. We did basically that, you know, a mini Stanford prison experiment in my uh, senior high school year uh, psychology class. And I was honestly pretty proud and impressed of the class because like most people didn't do it. Maybe it's because they had read ahead in the textbook and knew that we were being uh, yeah. tricked into something. Um, but yeah, I mean, the people that you see, especially like in the entertainment business, we see people get power and change very quickly. And it's and it's the people who didn't who who came into, you know, entertainment to feel whole or for validation, not just to entertain or to share their thoughts and ideas. Yeah, I was reading a um, study from a researcher out of Berkeley. I can't remember his name, but he was just on Christopher Ryan's podcast called Tangentically Speaking. Mm. And they were talking about power. And in this study, they did it with Monopoly. And one person got $300 every time they passed go and got two dice. And the other person got uh, $100 and only one dice. One die, whatever. But anyways, <laughs> in it, they... What happened, inevitably, the person with two dice and $300 always wins. And at the end, they ask, what were you doing in that? Like, why did you win? And the person speaks about the strategies they have. They don't mention like that they got $300 every time they pass. Like they don't mention really? any of that. Interesting. Yeah. And Christopher Ryan was saying like, that's exactly like when you're born into privilege and you don't think like, oh, you could yeah. just go to college. You can just quit heroin. You can just like we we don't look at it from the we don't think about all the places, the three hundred dollars when we pass go, the extra dice that give us um a leg up. And some people start with a leg down and and you some know, people never want to see their leg up because uh, because if they see it, I feel like they get and they they're scared that they're gonna lose their leg up, which is why so many people have such appalling behavior, like like that Amy Cooper video, the uh, when she called the cops on a black man who was bird watching because she was uh, she was uh, violating the law. She had her dog off leash in a, in an area that you clearly had every leash on, and then she said, "There's an African American man threatening me." I'm like, I've looked at that video. Oh, it's so disgusting, and it was so. She knew what she was dangling, and she was just. But she looked so, to me, she looked pathetic and she represents a lot of the psyche in America, I think. Um, she just felt powerless and she was grasping at any little thing. And it was, it was so, ugh, it was such a gross display of um, somebody who felt powerless trying to like take a man's race and call the police when she knew damn well the history behind that. 
the, the low levels people can sometimes stoop is appalling. And that's why I think if people looked inside themselves, got to know themselves and really just not loved themselves, but just minimum liked themselves. I think a lot of the bad things that happen in the, in the world wouldn't happen. Yeah, I like it what you were saying, Corinne, that if they're, if you feel powerful that's derived from a place of love, then when you have power of some sort, you'll likely not use it in a way that's trying to get a sense of self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, you know, I, I've been equally bitchy from having no money to having money. So, but the thing, it's interesting though, because like people will also try to like re- reflect a different image back at yourself. It's like, I've no, I know I've been a cunt the whole time. If anything, I'm nicer now uh, because I'm happier, you know? But people will try to be like, you know, oh, you've changed or you're a bitch. It's like, no, 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 I was always a bitch. You just didn't notice me before because I was of no value to you. I couldn't help you in any way. So why would you have paid attention to me? But it's like, I know how I was behaving and it's better now. <laughs> so in your in uh, your latest experience on the podcast, what has been some of the most transformative things for you? Like when you think from the beginning of why you started it, versus why you do it now has that changed yeah 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 i think um corinne was talking to me about this i don't know if it was privately on the podcast we do this so much that i forget when we're recording even if we're holding a mic but because we give advice we have not missed uh an episode of guys we fucked in seven years so for once a week for seven years corinne and i have sometimes twice (laughs) yes well yeah this past summer we're doing two episodes because quarantine but uh we have we have been given people's problems. People trust us with their problems, which is a huge honor. Their dilemmas, and then and so we've been dispersing this advice uh, that advice that we would want to give our daughter if we had a child, or advice you know. And and we've had a lot of parents come up to us like after shows saying like my fourteen year old kid listens to you and I'm so happy and he can have honor because it's like better than porn. You know what I mean? Like if you don't get mm-hmm. when you get your sex education, meaning mm-hmm. meaning you can get your sex education from porn and pretend that that's how normal life goes. <laughs> or you can get or it from, from us. School. Yeah. Yeah. Um but because right. we give advice, I think that now we are I, I'm able to at least turn the table on myself and give myself really good advice. And that turns into a happier, happier life. So I think when we're kind of held accountable um, with this podcast once a week, it really makes us look at every, you know, the the crevices, for me at least, that I was scared to look at. Because I'm very like, dim the lights. I don't want to see everything. <laughs> yeah. And I think for me, it's like, it's helped me to understand like why I always felt different. Because I think everyone, you know, always thinks they feel different, but it's because they're hiding parts of themselves. But I feel different because I was showing like all my cards. And then people were saying, those aren't the cards that you have. And I'm going, am I insane? (laughs) These are the cards I think I have. Mm -hmm. These are the cards I feel like I have. I'm showing them to you. I'm not hiding anything. And people be like, nah, that's not who you are. So it's like this, my whole life has been this constant, like, this is who I am. And like, even my mom will say like, like, she's like, you're a very complex, difficult person, but she's like the easiest part of raising you was that no matter how uh, difficult um, or hard to achieve, like your goals, wants, needs were, you were always very clear about what they were. So she's like, even if we're going to spend a long time trying to reach the goals, at least we know clearly what they are or what your feelings are. Like if I'm mad, I'm like, I'm fucking mad, <laughs> you know? Um, and and so often, and Christina sees it happen a lot, like people will tell me how I'm feeling, like how I'm feeling what I'm doing, what I want, 
like just to my face all the time. And I'm talking about like comedians, experts, therapists, like sometimes even my therapist will say something to me and I'm going, yeah, I just go, that's not it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just go, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like hiding from something. I'm like, we can explore, but I go, I go, I I can assure you that's not it. And like, (laughs) and then we move past it and then we do find, you know, what it is. But I think, you know, I think you need to feel confident and enough in, in, in who you are to a certain point to be like, we don't need to explore everything. I'm 34 years old. Like I've done a good deal of exploring already. Um, and I know like, like who I am and my, uh, and like my journey is kind of seeing like how, like helping myself navigate through the world and, uh, connecting with other people. Like that's where I struggle. Yeah. Corinne's a great example of the critique you have about another person is how you really feel about yourself. Cause they will, I, it's, it's truly fascinating to watch somebody tell Corinne how she feels or why she is the way she is. And Corinne's like, no. And they're like, oh, oh. Okay. And then (laughs) privately, they'll come up to me. And this used to happen like at the beginning of the podcast, I think, especially when we got like that first wave where people just assumed Corinne was the most insecure person because why? And it's like, I don't know how to get this through your little head, but it couldn't be further (laughs) from the truth. And it only tells me that you are skill I have. You wish that you could live (laughs) with that sense of self. And so you're mad that she gets to. And it's you don't even understand that you could absolutely get there. You just have to do work that's not fun. Right. And so it's like obviously that's like the, you know, the the worst thing to happen when you're when you're struggling to connect with people <laughs> yeah is, is people just reinforcing you know a, dis, a re, reinforcing a disconnect really and then so i just like walk around feeling like an alien all the time and then it also and then, you know this is something i have to work through to not get discouraged and go okay well it's like if this is continually my experience people saying you know things that aren't true to me about me which is just like obnoxious to begin with to to give someone a read on them when you didn't ask for it. Um, then I just like end up, you know, putting up more of a wall and like going out less and attempting to communicate less or dating less because you're like, why am I putting myself through that? There, there have been times during the podcast when I feel like, okay, well, we started this to make ourselves better. And there was a point I've gotten like over the hump now, but like there was a point maybe like, a year and a half, two years ago, when I'm like, this is actually making me a worse person. <laughs> but I think sometimes you have to, you know, I think for me, I had to become a worse person to then become an, a, a better person than I originally was, hopefully. I contend with that, yeah. <laughs> when it gives, a, it allows someone else to witness probably a validation of their own experience of like the way I feel people keep telling me is invalid. And then I actually feel the way they tell me I should be feeling or how I do feel. And in that is such gaslighting, you know, it's like we're constantly being invalidated, but then we don't, we learn not to trust ourselves. And it's, I mean, what a testament to your strength to be like, fuck it, I'm going to keep going, you know, past the part where you're like this, you know, this podcast experience is making me worse to the place. Now, what was the breakthrough between like that and then to where you are now? Uh, It's just like, you know, well, number one, going behind a paywall, number one. (laughs) So, but I mean, a paywall in a, in a way, when you're thinking, obviously like a paywall is monetary, but like, it's also, it's also just a real way of setting boundaries in kind of a, a a boundary less industry, Uh, especially with podcasting and social media. uh, When, you know, if you're not 
super, super famous and you're this accessible famous, which comedians notoriously are, you're mm-hmm. opening up yourself to a lot of avenues like that you, I didn't ask for. And obviously, like, you know, on, when you're stand up, like you're getting that immediate gratification or agreement of laughter and clapping. Um, but beyond that, that's all I wanted. And I just wanted that because that's part of the job, not because like I needed someone to be like, yes, you are funny. I just like people being quiet while I talk. Like, that's like the real thing. <laughs> you know, I'm like, if anything, it's like a narcissism. But yeah, I'm not. I took a test. Uh, I, I forced my therapist. My therapist was like, I really don't think you are. And I was like, give me the test. I need need to know. Um, But yeah, so it's setting a boundary. It's not, it's, it's realizing that like, even though you are giving away like art or thought for, for free, um, you know, maybe you don't always have to, maybe people need to earn their right to hear your art the same as they would need to earn your right to be your friend or be your partner. And people had a big problem with that. And so it was just like a lot of, patience and like responding to people and like as i responded to people one by one you know in them feeling uh abandoned or uh like we lied to them we said you know you'd never have to pay for this and now you do like that was great for me because in explaining to them i was re-explaining to myself why it was the right right choice and you know a year in we, we christine and i feel so much better. Like yeah. all your shit doesn't need to be out there. And like when we started this, like podcasting was much different and it was mm-hmm. a social experiment. And part of the thing I think we learned from the social experiment is while people will gravitate to those who overshare uh, at a certain point, is is your mental health worth more money, more fame? It's not for me. And yeah. it was a really easy decision for me to make. Yeah. A lot of the self-help books I've been reading lately because I'm a huge like junkie with that is uh people need to earn certain information about your life like what in terms of like mm-hmm. dating for example you know you don't i used to be the kind of person where i would just sit down and be like here's all my great qualities i did a ted talk i wrote a book i'm like slow <laughs> down let them learn about you and what i was listening to an audiobook the other day and i was like oh shit the book said something like, you know, make sure, you know, some thoughts just be, don't need to be known by everybody. And I'm like, right. that, what a wild concept, because Kurt and I truly have put our diary out onto the Internet. True, because we don't one yeah. of the promises we made to ourselves when we started and didn't think many people would listen uh, is that we're, we're not going to lie. We're not going to bullshit the people who listen to us. I think, you know, and that starts out with that initial level of trust with the title of the podcast It's what you get. We talked to guys we fucked. Right. I'd rather just not say something rather than say something that's not, you know, not true or not an accurate reflection. And I think like learning what to keep to yourself is a, is a, is a great skill, especially in a social media culture. Yeah. Yeah. Learning what to keep to ourselves. Oh my gosh. It's It's such a wild radical idea to me, but it's so true. Yeah, because it's, it's a way skill. to protect yourself. Like we think, we think, yeah. oh, I'm sharing. You know, I'm sharing my. It's a big thing to say is like I'm sharing my story. I'm helping other people by sharing your story. But it's <laughs> like, okay, but you you also need to still maintain something for yourself. I mean, even in a relationship, uh, 
I'm a huge believer that your partner shouldn't should not know everything about you. Like yeah. that's why you have friends. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's certain yeah. things that only you know about you. Only <laughs> Corinne knows. You know, oh, maybe my dog sees it, but he can't talk yet. That's why I like them. <laughs> yeah. There was a sketch yeah. on SNL that um that they were doing a Father's Day sketch, and it was a father and son that ha- was have they they faced the precipice of oh, yeah. really difficult conversation. <laughs> I forget what the topic was, but it was like a heart to heart that was very uncomfortable to have. So they but they bought a box that said Father Son Podcast Gear. Have the conversation and say the things <laughs> you actually need to say on a podcast. And it was I was like that is so true. I feel like. So we funny. talk about things and we're really intimate with strangers. But then mm-hmm. when it comes to the actual people, like I had a cuckolding fetish that I talked about on the podcast that I did not tell my boyfriend of seven years. And he edit he was at the time was editing it. And he's like, uh, you want to tell me about this? <laughs> I, I, I'm, about this I'm into that. that yeah. <laughs> Hold on. A cu- First off, a paywall is that you guys are on uh, you ladies are on Luminary, right? The podcast. Yeah. Yeah, so you have to be a subscriber to hear it. Yeah, yeah, it's two ninety nine a month, and so it's a it's a level that I'm like, yeah, if you could, are all of our secrets and bearing our souls for two ninety nine a month? I'm comfortable. That's reasonable. You should get paid to bear your souls, and the uh, cockling cockling is like watching someone else hook up with your. Is that what it Mm -hmm. is? Yeah, so uh, it's, it's I guess technically when a woman likes it, it's called queen. But I'm like, ah, can we just use the same word? Um, but I say cuckold. But yeah, <laughs> I I like um, I like seeing my partner with another woman. Um, it's just really uh. turned me on, and I and I wonder like I was my first ever relationship. I was cheated on, and uh, I had a, one other relationship I was cheated on that really shook me. And I and I I often wonder if that's just me trying to take control over it. But I'm like, whatever. I I truly do enjoy it, and mm, you know the person I'm with likes it very much too. So, and, but it's like, I have to get to a place of such trust to even be able to talk about that with a, with an intimate partner. Um, because I'm but learning you to can keep record a secret. podcast episode on it. Yeah. Well, more so what I mean is I won't consider doing it with a, per- like, cause I'm single now I've oh. been with someone for seven years. So now that I'm single, I, I will not like I'm flirting with somebody right now. And I haven't, I haven't even thought of that area of my brain has been shut off since February, um, in a good way. And so, I'm like, oh, this time around, uh, however far this goes, I'm going to make the person earn information from me. I mean, of course, they could just listen to the podcast, but hopefully they want to hear it from the source themselves. Well, I like that. That's that differentiation between oversharing and vulnerability, you know, like have they earned the right to your story? And uh, a lot of the times people share without asking if the other person wants to hear, you know, so they're like breaking because people don't think about boundaries as being containing oneself they only think about it about keeping things out that are bad Mm -hmm. but as opposed to like containing ourselves and not oversharing not forcing people to believe what we believe i mean that's yeah uh, we get that a lot like when when back when you know new york was pre-covid when people we would get like started to get recognized in the street a lot which was like such a wild thing especially when you have it's a podcast that you're you're known for um but i remember one time i was on the subway and this girl was staring at me and then she scoots over towards me and she goes Christina and I was like yeah and she goes okay so I'm dating this guy and I told him I'd herpes yeah. and I was really upfront <laughs> with it and and then he's not talking to me anymore and like what the fuck and I was and I was like oh buddy I got to 
Okay. <laughs> and that's like my, my DMs. It's just like, it, you know, you, you get a little bit of notification and like my OCD, I'm like, I can't have that dot has to go yeah, away. Same. It's right. Fucking nuts. I've done so much research how to get that dot to go away. I can't, I have to answer it. And then I look at it and it's like <laughs> a really, it's a really traumatic story. And I'm like, well, I, I'm, I'm up for another three hours. So it's just like, you know, there has to be a boundary like where it's like, oh, can I share? Can I ask for advice? And We've tried to convey that to our listeners without sounding heartless, and it, it hasn't really worked. Uh, sometimes, sometimes a little bit. <laughs> sometimes, just writing it for a person really helps them out. So, if anything, yeah. like I know, long- I used to feel bad about so many things, and now one of the things I no longer feel bad about, which is very freeing, is that you know, if somebody reaches out to us and I can't get back to them, it's it's okay. Uh, if anything, they got to write it out, and that's very helpful. And if I got back to everybody, I I wouldn't have time to go to the bathroom. Like I yeah. just wouldn't, you know, have time to live my life or meditate or look at a wall. I always trust that someone will find what they're looking for, like some other teachers, some other books, some other thing. I found early on when I had the space to answer some things like personally in my inbox or something that if I wrote someone back, they often wouldn't write me back. And I'm oh, like, really? oh, you were just, yeah, you were just looking for a free ear, like a free. And so I remember yeah. that. Yeah. When I first started. On a podcast, it's different because now people will submit questions and then I'll, yeah. you know, my, uh, we'll pick the the questions that we're going to answer because, you know, there's often similar questions. So you sort of collate them. I'm curious, what has been the greatest challenge of, you know, both living such public lives and, and the podcast and the experience? What has been the greatest challenge in, in, since the beginning? Hmm. Challenges have, uh, have, have changed over time, I think. Um, I mean, when you're in, when I, when, so I started single and then I was in like a two and a half year relationship and now I'm single again. But I I think for that, it was like figuring out what was appropriate to talk to, to talk about on the show. Like, so for Mm. me, like, I don't, I don't like to talk about, and I think it's unhealthy for me personally to talk about a relationship in real time. Um, Like, I don't want to have a fight and then three hours later, go on and talk about the fight. Like, I just don't, I think the relationship needs space to breathe. So like, there should be like some kind of like a lag, almost like a delay on it, like the way you would have a lag or security. (laughs) So that was a a big thing to learn. And then also just being okay with the fact that you're going to say a lot of stuff and like 70% of the people are going to hear what they want, no matter how many times you say it and are going to like, still like have you be this, whoever they want to be. Like I'll read, I'll get Google alerts, you know, and a lot of this is on Reddit, which is a hellhole. but like, and you'll read stuff <laughs> and you're like, Oh, this person, how can I, like, you, I feel crazy. Cause I'm like, how can I be speaking for, you know, six and a half years so openly and someone still have such a warped view of who I am, how I feel, my relationships. But it reminds me of this thing that Sarah Silverman said in a documentary about joke writing. And I just kind of applied that to the podcast. And she's like, you can work on a joke for, you know, as long as you work on it until it is perfected, until you feel comfortable uh, with it and you let it go and you tell it uh, to an audience. And once you let it go, you aren't you can't feel responsible for why people laugh, you know, cause sometimes you'll tell a joke and people laugh for the wrong reason. They laugh, mm. you know, you're making fun of racism or misogyny and they're laughing like as if they are the oppressor. And you, and she goes, mm. you, you, you'll kill yourself. if You beat yourself up, 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 up about that. As long as you know that when you let the words go, you were responsible 
you were clear, you had intent. Uh, and so I feel the same way about the podcast. And I'll like when I question something, I'll listen back to it. And my rule of thumb is like, do, it's not like, will do I think this will upset people? Because many times I think things I say will upset people. Um, but just, I just need to know that like, did I say what I meant? And can I back this up if someone questions me on it? And as long as I uh, answer yes to those two things, I feel comfortable letting it go. And because beyond that, like, I, I can't live like that. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah, I think for me, uh, I, uh, so many, so many trials and tribulations, but a lot of learning and growing, which is so painful. I wish, I wish someone would have just, or I wish I would have seen a meme or something, some piece of advice <laughs> that's like self-actualization and growth is painful and it's not fun. No, I wish someone would have told me that fun. because I really like to know what to expect. And if I expect, if I know it's not going to be fun, I'm ready. I'll fucking, it's okay. I won't be disappointed. But uh, I think dating one person for seven years and un, and realizing how tall of a pedestal I used to build for the men that I love. Mm. It was so tall, uh, taller than any pedestal I've ever been on um, for myself. And so how uneven that was. And then Corinne and I, did this episode that I'm, I'm very proud of, but it was so painful. Um, it's just called the breakup episode um, because I broke up with my boyfriend of seven years. I told Corinne about it because he was editing the podcast at the time. And I was like, hey, just so you know, we're going to have to, I'm going to figure out, we're gonna figure out how to find a new person to edit the podcast I broke up with, with the ex. And she goes, oh yeah, I actually broke up with my boyfriend too. who She was dating for two years. And so we did this episode. I had, wow. I had broken up with him like actually a month prior, but and part of this was like the kind of like this like PTSD from doing such a public podcast that I hadn't told anyone. And when I say no one, I said not my best friend, not my podcast partner, uh, not my not my mom. Like I had to make calls the day before we released that episode because I hadn't told anyone, and I just didn't want them to feel like I was telling the listener something before you know I was telling mm. you because that's a that's a, a common criticism you will get when you do a podcast and you're like I just didn't want to tell the same story 89 yeah. times it's on, <laughs> it's on a fucking mp3 you like send listen, the link to it. yeah, friends, yeah. Friends, really, friends really get paid yeah. for that yeah so when we did that episode it was just so uh there's so much pain but so much honesty and then I look back at that and I see all of the little devices that I was not yet aware of it's weird to have your pain be on the internet and mm. have your when, you know, I criticize people for their head being up their own ass, whereas in that, you know, so many parts of that, I, my head was up my own ass because I didn't want to see stuff and I didn't even understand that yet. So it's it's interesting to grow in front of an audience. Um, and then it's mm. interesting to, one thing that really made me realize like, oh God, this is, what have we done? Is uh, when um, our exes, after that episode got released, they received all these DMs from our listeners from chicks trying to like have sex with them. And I was like, wait a fucking week you piece of shit you fuck and i'm like wow and then corinne says wow. something like corinne goes wow this really is a podcast for whores huh and i was and that's how we <laughs> use humor to combat our rage about something like that and then you know and I, I going as somebody who gave who put so much importance on what other people think of me and how my actions make other people feel and how instead of about how, how i feel it, it was particularly jarring to experience like my my ex-boyfriend um I was like, I think he was like emotionally a little, a little abusive, but I don't know. And, and then he tr uh, tried to sue Corinne and I, uh, for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I was like, that was the, one of the most disappointing things I've ever experienced because he knew how hard I worked and how broke I was and how proud of myself I was that we were managed to make a, a comfortable living off of something we love so much. And what a big deal. And then he, 
started to resent the whole the money thing on my end. And and so my way of life for so long was when someone hurt me, I want to hurt them back. And mm. being at a place of such growth where that can happen, and I can think of Stephen as his name now, and I and I just I all of that stuff that's happened, I just I don't I, I just think so positively of the nice times that we shared, and it's mm. just it's just so I never thought I'd ever be able to get to that point because I'm a petty motherfucker, and uh, and but it's that takes heart and that takes honesty with yourself yes. and um, to not have a grudge like it's and it's so much better on this side than to hold on to the anger and weaponize it. It takes such grace. You know, it takes such grace to be able to, uh, I, I mean, gosh, to do a breakup episode. I, I've done one. I know that I think of that. I've never listened to that episode again. I cried yeah, on I've it. Never, and it was, I've never listened to the breakup episode either. Grant had a great <laughs> bit about how breakup pain is worse than the pain of death sometimes because, you know, when you break up, with, I, forget, I forget exactly how it goes, but she was like, when you break up with somebody, you're not going to run into them at the store or if somebody dies, you're not going to, if your mom dies, you're not going to run into her at the store three yeah. months later. And she's with a, a, a younger kid uh, with a bigger rack. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you someone like, you know, reliving the life that you, you know, thought that could be. And like I, a, a big thing that bothers me and I, I've gotten better with it, but it's like when you see them going on like that same vacation, going to that same event uh. and you're like, oh, I wasn't special. This is just like what you do with your partner. And I understand it now, but I, I mean, I try to tailor my relationship relationships to like things that people at least fucking like not just the same events like have a, list, again. a list yeah. of things the go-to yeah. yeah i wouldn't so take many, everyone to the renaissance fair or torture them with it so many people are on <laughs> autopilot mm -hmm. and that they yeah. forget that you actually have the ability to make something special and unique with somebody and it doesn't take that much effort like it just really just yeah. thought like just think a little bit yeah, to be creative is not that hard. Like you could just go on Google and look up creative dates and you'd be better than a regular date. Like it's mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. hard to, I remember when I was interviewing for a job, which, you know, hey, let's be honest, dating can sometimes be that same process. Oh yeah. And the guy I was meeting with this, uh, this guy who was, uh, I was, I made a mentor and I was asking him, you know, what advice do you have for me? And he, I remember him saying to me, like, be a penguin in a chicken hen or a, a chicken hen. Yeah. Be the only <laughs> penguin in there. Everyone else is going to come with the same answers and the same thing. Do something that stands out. Yeah. And I remember that always of like, so what I brought was like a report of why they should choose me. I remember he gave me that idea and I got the first job I ever applied for with that, with that plan. And, you know, I think the same thing is true of, of relationship is that if you don't desire to stand out or make someone feel special in some way, if there's not any effort put into any creativity, maybe, you know, past the first date, obviously first date is kind of that filtration process. We're like, let's have coffee and see if we actually mm -hmm. uh, vibe since we've only texted each other. Yeah. But just being like a thoughtful gift giver is like, well, I remember yeah. the first Christmas I had with my, that one ex, I was, a, I'm obsessed with popcorn, like addicted to it. And one of the things he gave me was his vintage suitcase filled with 50 boxes of popcorn. And I cried, like it was so thoughtful. And so like, and it's these, those little things that mean so much more than something yes. that would be considered more elaborate. Yeah. The, you know, and, and going back to what you were saying about breakups, yeah, there's something about about the endings that is so 
it like puts us in this place where you can't escape facing your stuff. You know, that's why I think when someone tells me that they broke up and, you know, it's, I'm, I'm often the first one is like, I'm really sorry to hear that. But the thing I really want to say is welcome, like welcome to the place where you can discover everything about yourself, where you are now, you don't have the energy to be full of shit anymore. So like, just be yourself. Like this is your chance. And when you're going through a breakup, you can actually start to set boundaries because people are kind of afraid of you. You know, they're like, oh, they're going through some stuff like just leave them right now. And they'll, and so it's a great time to reinvent oneself, to actually give birth to oneself rather than reinvent. Yeah. And then no, so many people think that everything's predetermined and well, this is who I am. It's like, but you, that's who you are with that attitude. Fuck that shit. Be better. (laughs) Have the energy to, uh, go inside yourself and be, you know, have more fun with your life. Your life should be enjoy- enjoyable. Yeah, I do. I do agree with it. Like it's a new beginning, but I still have a, a big problem, like, uh, or a tough time getting over the fact that it's like, when I think about like the person I hate most in the world, it's like, oh, it's definitely someone I dated. <laughs> like a hundred percent. Love and hate are very similar. Yeah. It's, like an act, it's not an active hate at this point. It's stagnant <laughs> hate, but it's, it's still like a, a, you know, and the people that I definitely would not r- want to run into. And that's sad. Mm. Have you had them on your podcast or no? No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't do it. Nor would I want to give them the attention because they're in the industry. That's the problem. It's like, you know, it's like you don't even want to give someone the spotlight in that way because it's like this person truly doesn't deserve it. So like I, I do I do think they're and it, this is this is a unique experience for me in my relationships, but it's like this particular person I truly don't feel even deserves the time to explain themselves. Like it's already happened enough via email and that's it. And there's nothing more. And, and every action has been toxic. So now it's it's over. Yeah, like not allowing your, them access to you anymore. Exactly. And and that's why, because they, they kept trying to get access in, in every way. I mean, this is someone I had to block on, on everything. They were giving their new partner access to me. Again, like a lawyer had to get involved. Um, wow. So so when that happens and, you know, we were like on, on good terms for, I mean, almost a year. Uh, after it, but it's like, but then I realized I'm like, oh, it's because the same toxic behavior that existed in the relationship is is still there, and it took so much time to, for me to undo that and to even realize what had happened. So yeah, so it's just it's just like a cutoff. I was mad for a long time. I'm not I'm not mad anymore. But what do you do? Cut it off. Be done. Be done. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So based on your seven years of experience, I'd love to hear from both of you, what is like based on maybe the most common thing that you each individually see or recognize, what is the best or most powerful piece of advice you've received or or would like to share? Probably, and this is being based off of uh, the questions we could ask for for advice. Um, Mm -hmm. You never, you should, and this is something that you've echoed a lot, Mark, uh, just you should never have to convince somebody to like you. Uh, So really take a step back when that is happening and go, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Why is, what, what are you doing? And so, because Corinne is always, I I remember she told me this and I was like, I'm going to will that attitude onto myself. And I did. Um, if somebody, if she likes somebody and they're talking and then they, they ghost her or they don't, you know, they say, I don't like you back. She truly becomes unattracted to them. Cause she's like, why do you have bad taste? Why would I be attracted to somebody that doesn't like me? I like me. So I don't, 
want to fuck with you if you're no it's no you know no bad blood but i'm like oh that's such a great attitude to have so uh yeah uh P- i wish people would understand how lar- uh, low they set their bar and that they don't need to convince anybody to love them amen I was like, oh, I'm inspired. And I was like, I was, yeah, my other podcast is with someone who rejected me. So we're, I'm fine. Um, <laughs> wait, we're, we're great business partners. Because um, I was like, I was like, oh, this is, I was like, this is something that you have going on with you. This is not a reflection of, of me. You know, so the question that I get asked the most um, is, how do I be self confident? And I go, well, that's, it's a very long, that's a long process. I can't just like give you a little packet of magic dust. But something I saw, I'm like, this honestly did come from a meme. I'm sure someone amazing said it initially, but now it's just meme culture. Um, and it was very hard for me to uh, concisely kind of wrap up what I thought self-confidence was. And I can't tell you exactly how to get there, but I do know that you'll know when you get there, when you feel this way. And the way is self-confidence is not walking into a room thinking they will like me. Self-confidence is walking into a room and knowing in your heart, it doesn't matter if they do. Mm. And when they said that, I go, that's how I feel. I go, I had never was able to express it because it was so innate. And then I was like, that's what I can use to tell people. And when you feel that way, I mean, first of all, it's fucking freedom. And then you know you'll got, you've, you've gotten where you need to be. And then for me personally, what I feel like I've you know been actually really working on during the quarantine, really understanding like what uh, like a health like healthy love feels like, because I definitely you know I think and I think like artists especially get really wrapped up in like the drama, the fighting, the back and forth, the games. But and I and I was listening to a couple of your podcasts actually, Mark, and and I think it's just like reinforcing in my mind that it's that it's just like it's safety, it's feeling supported, it's telling someone good news, and then like just kind of right, like reactionary, yay, excited Mm. for you, you deserve that. And I was like, oh, fuck, you know, and sometimes I think like having self uh, high self confidence is negative in in a relationship or not negative, but, but a disservice to me, because I'm giving myself so much love that I don't expect very much from someone else because I don't need it, mm. but I still deserve it mm. and should and should be with someone who's giving that to me, even if it's almost overload. Shit, truth bomb. Yeah, amen to that. that <laughs> amen to both of those. <laughs> so thank you again for making the time, taking the time to be on the show today. I'm so grateful. And I love the merger of humor with expansion. It is my favorite thing because life is too ridiculous to not be able to laugh as we experience it. I think it would be really fun to have you back on and do a live Q and A, like hell where yeah. we answer oh, questions to. that get submitted. I think it'd be so fun to get your. Our listeners were so excited when you were on the when you were on the show. Like so many people, including my friend Michelle, who's the life coach, she was like. Fuck you up, work on this is incredible. She's like, I'm dropping everything right now. So, yeah, I got lots of uh, really beautiful messages. So, thank you, thank you for having me on. And uh, so, where do people find you? Because I'm sure they want more of this, this transparency and openness and honesty. Uh, well, if they want to listen to Guys Who Fucked, the anti-slut shaming podcast, you can download the Luminary app. Uh, it is uh, only available on there. Um, we have more freedom to talk. I feel like the, the podcast is enjoyable to do again because I feel free and I'm not worrying about 
what people think. And so that's a really good time. Uh, that's Corinne and I. And then I have, I have my own podcast called The Voices in Our Heads available everywhere. That's a solo podcast. Um, and my our, our duo social media is Sorry About Last Night uh, on Instagram. And then mine individually is Christina Hutch. But it's K-R-Y-S-T-Y-N-A. Spell fucked up. And if you want to give, actually, if you want to give guys the fucked a chance before paying for it, I know I'm not supposed to give away things for free, but like there is oh, an yeah. archive available on all platforms, like before we join. So you, there's like, still, oh, like yeah. six years and you can try it out and see if you like it. And then if you want things that are more like of the time, um, you can go to Luminary. And then I also have a, a second podcast called Without a Country where Joe DeRosa, who rejected me, and I, um, he's a comedian. We talk about the news, the most controversial news stories of the week, using sources from the extreme right and the extreme left, and we find some sanity in the middle. So it's obviously been very interesting during this time. I'm very proud of that show. And uh, I'm on at Philanthropy Gal. Um, there's, it's a little tongue-in-cheek. I'm not that full of myself uh, on social media. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you, ladies, for being here. I appreciate your time. And I can't wait to have you back for the Q&A. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. 